Hey, what's up, guys? It's Chris. Listen, I want to talk to you about some of our sponsors. First and foremost, we're talking. One, first one I want to talk to you about is JC Innovations. JC Innovations is an engineering service business that provides engineering support for orthopedics and medical device businesses, including medical technology. But this is the thing. This is the thing. That's like saying that Kobe Bryant was a basketball player. I mean, this is. I mean, I appreciate this thing that they wrote up for me, but really, let's really talk about what they're. It's complete, total innovation happening in the orthopedic business, right? Where some of these guys are happy with hips, knees, right? JC Innovations is pushing the envelope of technology and innovation in the orthopedic industry. With, with over 15 years experience making medical products, they are prof not just proficient, they excel at navigating regulatory requirements for the, the government, the FDA. Think about all the nonsense it takes to get your product on the market with the FDA. JC Innovations, they've done it for 15 years. They can get your product to market, both and as well as regulatory bodies outside the US. Blessed to be a part of this community, they do their part and contribute to it. JC Innovations supports helping hands, right? Helping hands. If you don't know about helping hands, helping hands, J Jody put together like an Iron Man hand for my buddy's little girl, Zoe. That's the kind of thing we're talking about. It's not just about pushing innovation, but it's about helping community. If, you're, if you want to learn more, reach out to Jody. You want to maybe you want to be partner with them, you, Jody, how they can help your business. Contact Jody at JC Innovations through the contact page on their website, jcinnovations.com. That's jc-innovations.com. They're excited to hear from you. Give them a call. Tell them I sent you. They might take our lives, but they'll never take our freedom. This is the Freedom Cats with your hosts, Chris Flack, Seven King, and Jody Claypool. Produced by Jack Claypool Audio. Freedom Cats reviews movies, politics, and entertainment. Ladies and gentlemen, here is the Freedom Cats. We have a lot going on today. Lots of news to cover, uh, lots of topics to delve into. Uh, just for everybody listening out there, this is not a kid-friendly show. Um, and it's because of listeners like you that we are able to make this thing grow and work. So please make sure to like, share, and subscribe. Uh, subscribe so you can get the, the notifications of uh, the new episodes when they come out. Uh, I'm Jody. I'm Jason. I'm Randall. And we are the Freedom Cats. Meow. So, fellas, uh, we have a lot going on today. We're going to be talking about... Um, what is the root problem that we've got going on in this nation? And I, I say root problem, but I'm sure there's multiple that we can dive into. Um, are there any institutions that exist that aren't corrupt, that don't have some sort of corruption going on? Uh, and, you know, we've got these current conflicts. Again, we're going to kind of delve into these, but we're going we're gonna to delve into these more from a moral, ethical, and what is actually real information standpoint. And finally... Um, our border security. I think it's a fair topic to kind of delve into again. 
and uh, kind of view, again, the, the moral implications of trying to maintain a nation's um, border. Um, I did send out a movie. I don't know if you guys watched it. Uh, Made in America, Tom Cruise. It's about um, him trafficking uh, drugs and guns. It's based on a true story of this guy named Barry Sellers who was conscripted by the CIA to traffic guns and drugs over the border. Uh, and that manifested into the Iran-Contra Iran affair. Um, it's actually a really good movie, um, and maybe we can kind of play off of that as we're talking. So let's start with the first point. What is the root of our nation's problem? Is it a lack of integrity? Is it greed? Is it vanity? Or do we just... Um, do we not have a uh, principle or moral ethic that we align with? And so we're viewing, you know, viewing everything from a different lens. And so for some people, it's some things might seem moral and ethical. And for other people, maybe not so much. Uh, my, my initial thought on this, um, I think the easy answer is to go greed. Um, but but I, I think greed causes uh, there to be a, a bigger conversation about, like, why is there greed, right? And I, I think innately, and, uh, and, and I'm not necessarily a huge religious person, uh, but, you know, if you, if you dive into the religious world, there's the conversation of, like, Jesus died for our sins and, and, and humans and people uh, by nature are flawed. And, and, and I think that that, that really kind of summarizes like why we we have the issues that we have is because we have people if we didn't have people i don't think we would have the flaws that we have and i think by by definition i think we as people are flawed in some capacity okay so um the nation our nation's problem is that people don't they're, they're just not working well they just are walking around. Well, I, I, I don't. I don't know if we if we have the ability to necessarily work well. I, I mean, it, we we have the we have the ability to make good and bad choices, um, but but I think by definition, because we have the ability to make good and bad choices, uh, that that innately makes us troublesome. So let me ask you: Do you think some? Do you think there's? Um, do you think there are people out there? Um, that intentionally want to do bad? That want to do ill will? Um, no, I, I don't. Uh, I, I've... Th I'll, I'll hold on to that th theory for maybe another time, but there... No, I, I don't think people innately want to do ill will. I, I think people base decisions off of pros and cons, and and there there's a selfish element uh, to that that decision making power, and I think that selfish element is is where it sways that decision to one side or the other, and then the consequence of that said decision then will evolve into an ill will kind of scenario. Does that make so, so like if you take like the Palestinian and Israeli situation right now? Let me back up. In, in my earlier years, I was a, a sales rep. And one, one of the greatest pieces of information that a, a business sales coach ever told me was it's irrelevant the product you're selling because it doesn't matter what side of the fence you stand on. We can create information to defend both sides. 
we can create information to, to show that your product is the best. And we can, sh we can create information to show that your product is the worst. It's all how we explain, display, and create the perspective based on the information. And, and that, that was just like a, a, a revelation in like thoughts of people, right? So w when you correlate that to something like this, this struggle that we're having in the Middle East right now, you can find enough information to be a full-blown supporter of the Palestinian fight, right? And, and you can find negatives in, in, in the Palestinian side. And then you can find and believe that there's plenty of reasons to support the Israeli portion of this fight. And you can find plenty of reasons to show that the Israelis are doing some ill will. But both of them, you, you could argue both and you could defend both and you could support both. The question is, is, is just simply where are you on that? Because one of them has ill will or maybe both of them do. Yeah, that's an interesting um, way of kind of coming to um, coming to the argument because um, have you ever seen the movie Dope Sick? Dope Sick? I'm not. So it's it's based on the um, uh, Sackler family and, and the pharmaceutical company that created uh, what was it uh, OxyContin? Oh, oh yes, yes. And yeah. It was the okay. it was um, this kind of perpetual rationalization from the side of the corporation to um, to basically give themselves permission uh, to push a drug on these people um, that they would get addicted to, knowing full well. Right, what getting, the end results would be. Yeah, and the mental gymnastics was pretty profound in the movie. It's a well-done movie. And so they would talk about things like, well, we're really helping them because they're in pain. And so right. we want to solve their right. pain. And you know, and, the, and then they just kept coming up with better arguments in their brain for why they needed higher dosages. Right, right. Right. I, I mean, you, you can you can literally argue either side of the story. And, and, and I think maybe maybe that's the issue with 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 us is that is that we really can't define right or wrong because you can argue both sides. And, and there's a there's like a there. I think there's a uh, uh, almost an animistic an individual way to come to a conversation that somebody could rationalize completely abhorrent behavior mm -hmm. right? uh, in your brain. You're thinking that, you know. And I really deserve this more than that person or this person's really the bad guy. So you could, you know, uh, dot, 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 you know, blow up a busload of kids or, right. you know, steal from somebody just as a, a individual um, perspective in the conversation without ever taking kind of the higher power view. Right. The higher power view is a requirement to look at the midterm and long-term outcomes and find the optimal solution for the midterm and long term right which and is, and the majority yes and this right. is the idea of sacrifice right right sacrifices i'm putting away my immediate gratification for something that's going to be much more beneficial in the midterm or long term right and so when you start having that perspective right then you're getting into this religious moral framework argument and that's when it's like okay well which dogma has the most optimal outcome in the midterm and long term, and then the debate of you know whose super secret is actually the winning super secret, right? <laughs> That's what I call it, the super secret, because everybody who's coming to a religious argument is like, well, I know this truth, the super secret truth, right? And I'm gonna, I'm the one who can share it with you, um, and then the other side comes with their super secret, and then it's like, okay, well, you know, it's it's not 
in their minds, it's valid and, and there's a good argument there. But then what's the impact on society? Well, I think um, what you guys are describing is exactly where the culture has shifted a lot on the discussion of moral and language issues. So Jacques Derrida called into question the meaning of words at all. And that gave rise then to wanting to decenter the center, right, and find a new center for the conversation. And Marxists then took that and said, let's analyze the power structures in society and find reasons for why people do what they do. So what you see even in um, Maleficent or Wicked. And great, that, great, great play. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. Uh, Wicked's a great play if you've never seen it. Yeah, yeah. Great music too. Oh, right? incredible. Yeah. yeah. Um, but what you see in these, and it's interesting because the primary way that this works itself out is in literary works, in the entertainment that we choose. That's why when you talk about uh, postmodernism, primarily through Jacques Derrida, and when you talk about Marxist literary theory, analyzing power structures, right? You're talking about lit theories. You're talking about what is it that we present and how is it that we understand what we receive through that medium, whether it's the written text or the media text. Okay, so before we build this out, people are going to be like, who the heck just spoke? <laughs> <It's fair. laughs> oh, that's so right. Yeah, so let's do, let's do two introductions. Jason, I think and most of the listeners are going to know who you are. This is your third time back. Fourth time? Uh, I I believe fourth. All right. We're, right, yeah. On. We're at the, at this point. I think I think I'm on the payroll. You're a fan favorite. Yeah, There's right. no doubt about yeah? it. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Thank you. I appreciate the that. Show it. The number so, show. So, it. Yeah. so Jason, give us a little background on what you're doing. Um, um, so you uh, Jason Brown. Um, I'm a I'm a restaurant guy. I I own a couple different restaurants. We own a restaurant called 110 Craft Meadery here in town. Uh, we're getting ready to develop a few more projects. We've got a uh, a, a pizza arcade parlor coming to town. It's going to be called Rock Steady. It's going to be located at 108 East Market Street. And then uh, we've got an artisan market, uh, butcher shop, seafood market, coffee shop, little wine shop. And uh, that's going to be called B&B Courthouse Market, and that's located at 108 North Buffalo Street. So, um, so we've got a, a few projects in the works. And uh, if anybody else has a 108 address that is for sale, please let me know, because apparently that is in my wheelhouse of purchasing right now, <laughs> as, as I find out. Um, I'm Randall Myers. I'm a hospice chaplain by day and a closet biblical theologian by night. By biblical theologian, just because I know we're in Warsaw, I mean the academic discipline. I don't mean to claim any higher ground that my approach is more biblical than anybody else's. It's more about narrative development than it is about propositional systematic statements about who God is and how this all fits together. I loathe that way of doing theology. Um, I'm more about the story, which is why I lean towards the lit theory and that kind of thing. And I like to see what the narrative's developing. 
Fantastic. And today's uh, shocker is Becca. <laughs> she seems to be winning the bids quite a bit, and she's got a big smile on her face, so she's hoping I'm going to say the magic word or swear or interrupt aggressively. I can just see it. She's salivating. So thanks, Becca, for supporting us. We really appreciate it. So we were talking about the value of archetypes, right, and the, the narrative around the archetypes, and, and you were tying that to these plays and movies and stories that um, seem to resonate so well with society. Right. Right. Well, and uh, so to, to get more practical, you know, the story of Wicked is a literary move to decenter the normal center, and the center was Dorothy. The center was built around Dorothy being this person that saves the little munchkins from the Wicked Witch. But what you don't know is that the Wicked Witch had a reason why she behaved the way she did. And so it's decentering Dorothy from being the center of the narrative, offering the Wicked Witch as the center of the narrative. And that's the power structure move then, because postmodernity and Marxism goes hand in hand, right? So we create a new power structure, a new way of telling the story in order to uh, posit the Wicked Witch and understand her motives, because, you know, it's not possible. And this is where Marxism trips up. It's not possible that anybody did anything wrong. They all have their motives. And so this is where lit theory and Jacques Derrida wanted to go with things was moral relativity by questioning that center and saying, well, so-and-so did this because of this reason. So-and-so did this. Maleficent was wicked because nobody understood her. So do you think, do you view that as uh, having a... A purpose? Do you view that as having some value or do you view that as an attack on integrity? I, I think there's benefits to both. I really do. I think there is benefits to or to understanding the power structures in society and how they're corrupt. Um, are, are you familiar with uh, Khalil Gibran? No. Uh, so he's, a, he's kind of this uh, guy with a kind of a, a Christian, Buddhist, uh, uh, Muslimist background. Uh, and has he kind of created like the chicken soup for the soul kind of uh, higher a higher level philosophical excerpts. So it's like these little short excerpts in a book called The Prophet. And one of uh, his excerpts was um, there was I'm gonna get I'm I'm just paraphrasing, but one of them was society's to blame for every bad person doing a bad thing because at any point somebody could have interjected in that person's mm -hmm. life and changed the path they were on. Well, and that's actually when Marxist literary theory was really coming into its peak about 10 years ago. Um, and it started long before that, but it was really kicking off about 10 to 15 years ago. The movie Dragons came out, right? That is a perfect example of decentering the center. We take what has usually been, literarily speaking, in human consciousness. So this isn't just about literature that we're reading. This is about how humans as, as a large societal whole have understood their symbols, the archetypes. Up until this point in time, dragons have been understood as gold mongering, fire breathing. I'm going to tear your face off. Dragons, this little children's movie, is questioning that center. And it's, I don't think it's any 
joke. I, I don't think most of us recognize Wait, that. It, it, are you referencing How to Train a Dragon? Yeah, yes, okay, yes, right. yes, 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 right. yes, yes. Because I, I, I was I'm racking sorry. my head. I was like, what the hell movie is called <laughs> Dragon? <laughs> I'm sorry, Jason. But I was like, How to Train Your Dragon. I was like, that's yes, a great yes, movie. Yes, like, yes. I love that I one. That was the great. Title. Yeah. yeah. Historically, the symbology, the iconography of the dragon was a compilation yes. of the things that were most threatening. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this is how humans have understood their, not just their literature, their lives, right? You see a snake, you think of it as a dragon. Um, who knows? Maybe snakes were dragons at some time. I don't sure. know, you know. <laughs> but uh, uh, while we can't see it on this side, I can tell you there are literary minds, brilliant minds that are doing this intentionally. They're brilliant. And not that it's necessarily evil, but if you get into talking with the screenwrites and such about this, they know what they're doing. They took the same lit classes that everybody took in school. That's why they've got a degree and they're a screenwriter now. So, so if, if, if we can all agree that we, we truly can argue both sides and, and, and create, create the discussion from both perspectives to defend right or wrong, then wouldn't it beg to ask the question – is there truly a right or wrong decision that can be made? I think that's the big question. Right. That's the big question. Is there a moral framework that is, that's transcendent, that is the ultimate truth that you can't violate? In violation of that, you build the societal norms and ethics. But if you have this moral relativism, you don't have that framework. It's a justification all the time. So I, I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm, go I'm gonna. Ahead, Jason, go ahead. Earlier, I, I said I was going to hesitate and wait to bring this out, so I'll, I'll go ahead and bring it out now. I and I, I don't know if I if I believe this or not, but but it is a theory that I have created. If if in fact we don't know that, like right or wrong decisions can be made, right, based on perspectives and and thoughts. So I, I kind of came up with this compiled idea where there, there is no such thing as a right or wrong decision. There are only right or wrong consequences because at the moment of the decision, so if, if you look at, it, look at it on a linear scale, at the moment that you decide to take a step over the cliff, you, you have contemplated you, you have two options, either don't step or do step. Something in your head said, nope, 51% of my mind says to step, which means mentally in your head, you have decided that that was the right decision. Now, once you step off that cliff, you fall to your death. And then you go, well, that was a shitty consequence. And you go, so, but, 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 but it begs to ask the question, was stepping off the cliff a bad decision or did it result in a bad consequence? And, and, and I, I wonder if we don't live in more of a world where that is the case because in our heads, in our heads, when we make a decision, we have justified it for us. We've justified whatever it is that we're going to do. And nobody is consciously going to make a decision that is negative. We will make decisions that will have negative consequences, but we've weighed those values. We've, weigh, we've weighted that. 
and why and why are we allowed to do that? Does, does that make sense? So so to summarize it, the statement would be there are is no such thing as a right or wrong decision. There are only right or wrong consequences. Because every decision that you make in that moment is actually the right decision. It just may end poorly. Did I explain that clearly? Yeah, enough? I, yeah. I, I, yeah. I come from it probably the polar opposite. I would say there are right or wrong decisions and the consequences um, feed into, as, as time progresses, the consequences in a person's life will either reinforce or deteriorate the decision they decided to make. Now, let me build this out a little bit, right? So if we're looking at, you know, um, let's say the um, common, you know, deluded Christian, I'm not saying deluded Christians, I'm saying uh, a very simple way of saying the Christian framework, okay? So I'm, I'm gonna come at it with like, don't murder, don't lie, don't steal, Sure. Don't adulter. Like the top 10 things not yeah, to do. Yeah. 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 Right. So I, <clears throat> I didn't mean to say that Christians are doing I'm saying yeah. I'm going to simplify it so we don't get into that specific. They document. should add a, an 11th one that says don't eat fast food. But, you know. <laughs> Amen. Just, gonna, are we allowed to amend? Are we allowed to amend? <laughs> I mean, just, just <laughs> modernize <laughs> it a little bit. Like, that's, it's not a big deal. <laughs> right. So there is, that is a call to the fight against human nature because there's the easy and immediate gratification instinct, and then there is the consider the long-term ramifications mental gymnastic exercise that happens. And whether or not you choose to lie or whether or not you choose to tell the truth is the decision based on that framework. It's the, I know lying is wrong. Now, if you don't have that framework, you might not know lying is wrong because lying is a very easy way to get out of stuff, <laughs> right? So it just seems like if you didn't know that, uh, yeah, why wouldn't you? Because it's, you know, it's going to get you out of the whatever jam you're in. But having that higher level understanding will help a person at the time do the value judgment. And then as time progresses, let's say, let's say they choose to tell the truth, right? And it's catastrophic. It's terrible, right? Now the next time they go, they, now in their story of their life, the next time they go to tell the truth, they're going to recall how painful it was the sacrifices they had to make when they told the truth. And they're going to decide whether or not they want to do go through that again. Now, given even more time, they might find out that all that pain and suffering because of the consequences of the truth turned out to be a great thing. But they had to get far enough down the road to look back on it and do a fair assessment and have everything shake out the way it was intended to shake out. And then they would come to a different decision. But at the same time, I think the value judgment isn't really the consequence. It's the it's the, it's the decision of, it's the, does this align with my, is it good or bad um, decision? Right, but, but, but that's a scale, right? Okay, so, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use your example of, of lying is bad. In most cases, there could, again, just taking the other side of an argument, there could be a scenario where you weigh your pros and cons and telling the truth in that moment may not be the right decision. Yeah, I mean, just to go back to Christianity for a moment, we've got uh, 
Israel spying out the land and Rahab lies about the story of Rahab where she protects the spies. She lies about whether she's got those spies in her custody or not. And so the uh, authority structures of the land pass her house by and keep going and they escape. So there's a case where lying was okay. Um, Christians in Germany lying about whether or even those who weren't Christians who were hiding Jews lying about whether they have them. So there is a case. Now, I would point out that that typically is in wartime, that lying really has a lot of... Civil War, Underground Railroad. I mean... Yes, yes. Like, like the, the, and and that, that's, why I, that's why I pose the thought that it, it, it can't be as clear as lying is bad. Hurting somebody is bad. Like, it, it always has to be weighted. And, and so I, I used this reference a couple of weeks ago, and, and I, I don't remember exactly what this example is, but it's the, uh, it's the two train tracks, right? You got, you got to split. On, on one side, you're, the train's going to kill two people. And on the right side, the train's going to kill 100 people. It, it's, do, you, do you save two or do you save 100, right? And, and that, that is this discussion where how do you, if it's your wife on the left, you know, if it's your mom and dad of the two people or a hundred strangers, where do you go? So is this a, so in this particular, because I, I like how we're juxtaposing the two arguments, right? Sure. So I want to keep, I want to keep building this out, right? Because I'm, 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 I'm getting more aligned with this idea of figuring out the optimal outcome as what you're, that's what you're supposing. Right. The, the best decision is the best outcome. Which yes. would be pragmatism, right? right? So in this yeah. case, we're Being going we're going yeah. straight to Star Trek, right? The needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few, so you kill the two people, right? So Spock would easily just decide to send him down the left side, which then yeah. But what what if those two people are Adam and Eve? Well, his principles are the needs of the many, so <laughs> the, Adam I mean, and I, Eve are getting plowed over by a train. <laughs> that's, that's tough. So what what I'm thinking is the reason why I pointed out the questioning of authority structures and the questioning of the center was so that we could at least see where society has come in the West and the assumptions that we're operating under and how we are kind of in this current culture, especially even you can see this on the pro pro. Now I know there was a discussion about whether Jew was the right term or not. And in actuality, what you're discussing is the difference. They're all Israelis. Even the Palestinians are Israelis. So what you're discussing is Palestinian-controlled Israel versus Jewish-controlled Israel. Everybody's part of Israel, but certain people have control of certain sections of Israel. So if you go on the pro, whatever the correct term is, you know... We, we see this uh, fight playing out like, well, you can see it from this side, you can see it from that side. Well, the reason why we're seeing it from this side and that side is because we've had authority figures already implanting this into the way Western society thinks. It's a product of the Enlightenment, ultimately. Okay? So what... Once I've identified that, where I would want to go with the conversation, back to your initial question, what's wrong with the world today? Jason says it's individuals, right? And I agree with that because it does come down to individuals. But we answer the question by going back to individuals rather than looking at the community. 
So if you go to the East, if you go to China, the question is, how's the community culpable for the sins that are being committed and sins in quotes, right? So all that to say, how is the U.S.? I think you even pointed to the U.S. in your initial question. What is wrong with the U.S.? I, I would go off of the individual into the communal, communal and say, well, what's wrong with the U.S. is they think they've got a messiah complex. They've got a straight messiah complex. I talked to individuals who fought in Afghanistan when that all was going down. They're already passing out literature for uh, sexual revolution in Afghanistan. And that's become one of the main failing points for the U.S. in Afghanistan is that they weren't able to push that into the school curriculums in Afghanistan. Even though it's a war-torn country, guess what? They have a school system, they have a curriculum, and they weren't able to push that. And that's been one of the, considered one of the main failing points. Nobody in the U.S. wants to admit, or those who do, they just are like, wow, we're amazing. We're that light on the hill. Let's save the rest of the world. No, we're not. There are great things about our society, and I don't want to deny that because I know, especially here in Kosciuszko County, I might get my head chopped off for saying that. But um, the reality of the system, uh, the reality of the situation is that we think we have the answers. We think that the way we analyze these problems is the best way to analyze these problems. It's kind of like. Um, I'll, I'll get off my soapbox here shortly, uh, but it's kind of like saying that politics and religion should be totally different. That is so foreign to Eastern countries. Who's right? Well, we're right because we see that it operates in a, in a, a better way because religion shouldn't be controlled by politics and politics shouldn't be. Who says we're right? We just like the results better because we were born and we lived in it. Perhaps someone from a different country thinks they shouldn't be separated. And that's actually the problem we're having in the Middle East is that they don't separate it. Palestinians think that they have their authority to enforce their political views based on their view of God, as do the Jews. There is no separation. So in making the individual culpable, the community is culpable too for what's wrong in the U.S. We think we have the right answer, and sometimes I don't think we do. So there, I hear two suppositions, okay? Uh, one is greed. And I can totally, it's very easy to build out, particularly right now, the greed aspects of the corruption, what I view as corruption, but we, we should probably spend some time defining what we mean by corruption too just by the conflicts we're in. Like, does, does, do, do either of these conflicts, the ones that are kind of being pushed into the narrative, do either of these make any sense from a U.S. involvement standpoint? Oh, man. <laughs> you take it, Jason. Uh, <laughs> this is all you. <laughs> um, or is this just a money laundering scheme? I mean, the billions and billions of dollars that are going to Ukraine... Um, they've already signed up to send a ton of money over to Israel that Israel didn't ask for, right? It's like, okay, what 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 is and and just what came out and this is complete conjecture and, and 
just something I heard. So there's no in no way take this as fact. But it does look like there was a two hundred thousand dollar check that was cut back to Joe Biden from his brother for two hundred thousand uh, dollars, which ties him directly into you know that that whole uh, corruption scandal business where he's the quote unquote big guy, right? So again, there's this isn't this is just something I saw. So it's like yeah, greed greed definitely seems like it's prolific, um, and so it does seem like something that I could very easily, I could see people very easily stepping into, well, greed's probably the biggest problem we've got in this country. Uh, so I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go into your, your realm a little bit where, where you say um, w- uh, the United States kind of has this like very egocentric uh, emotion to push it elsewhere, right? The answer is yes, I completely agree. Uh, we, we, we want, uh, as human nature, we want to procreate and we want to procreate uh, like-minded individuals, right? So it, it's, and I've always correlated our, our United States, our, our world to operating a business. It's, it's very similar to operating a business. Uh, when you operate a business, you want to employ like-minded people because if we're all walking in the same direction, life's a lot easier. If we all agree that we want to take care of people from a hospitality standpoint, life is simpler. Life is better at our restaurant, right? And and the United States and the government is really no different than that. And so the idea is, is that we, we get involved in these overseas situations sometimes with with mixed purpose right so sometimes it is well we can drop off flyers and we can push christianity and we can we can we can expand that environment right that could be one perspective the other is we could westernize the eastern part of the world that could be another piece uh, we could democratize the eastern part of the world okay that could be a whole nother piece and and then the so so that there's when you ask, is there a reason for us to be in these two wars that we are hypothetically involved in at this moment? There could be a lot of reasons as to why. One, if, if you're not growing, you're dying, okay? So if, if we're allowing somebody else to grow their environment, then our environment is shrinking. Okay, so so that would be the first question, and and right now we we have we have three major, three major groups that have the ability to potentially be in charge, right? Um, and and really we have two groups that have the ability to potentially be in charge because two of the three at least have a singular common enemy. Which is us, yeah, yeah, which means yeah. they happen to be buddies. Yeah. Now, are they really buddies? No, probably not. But nothing makes two people or two individuals stronger than despising the same person or the same individual, right? And so, so that's extremely dangerous for us. So when you ask, should we be in these conflicts overseas? The question really should be asked is, what is the consequence if we don't get involved? And because I, I can't tell you that we should be sending, you know, I, I think I heard the other day that we, we've sent like $3.2 billion to, to Israel to help uh, reinforce their, their Iron Dome. Um, obviously, we have sent billions of dollars to Ukraine. 
I, I don't think it's a fair question to ask if it's a good thing that we're there. But I think you have to ask, what is the consequence if we're not involved? Because that is the bigger question. What happens if Russia completely takes over Ukraine? Okay, maybe, maybe nothing in that singular instance. But it does move Russia's power space to, to an expanded part of the world. Okay, which, which now means uh, they have a little bit more of a foothold. Okay, um, it, talk about the, the, the Israeli and Palestinian situation. This is a mess. Um, it, it's a singular country that is, or a singular group of people that is completely surrounded by a secondary group of people that do not see life the same way. Um, th that, that is just from a, from a city planning standpoint, that is miserable. Uh, I, whoever I, I know I, I've done my research and studied it and, and I know when it was created and how it was created, but but that is an awful situation to put a group of people in. You, you will constantly and forever always feel like you are on the defense. You just are. Like if you, if you look at the way the United States is built, Canada's built, Mexico's built, majority of all countries have two borders that you genu genuinely have to protect, right? You don't have to protect all four. Israel has to protect damn near all four borders. That's tough right? You, you are a hundred percent surrounded. So the, the, now, now you could get into the bigger question about the Israeli Palestinian situation with the religion and the connection to the land and who, who is owed that. But if we don't, and, and I'm not promoting this, I am simply putting a perspective out there. If we don't have a foothold in the middle East in some capacity, we as a country are shrinking. Okay, so you're building out the Messiah complex. It sounds like you're building out the Messiah complex argument for of Randall's. I mean, part of it, yeah, yeah, part of it. Because the the cost, obviously, the cost benefit analysis of this is uh, main, the maintenance and the security and uh, development of our own country makes us more resilient as a global player than being, you know, the, the people who decide right and wrong or force our side of the argument in other countries, right? So ideally, we would take those same dollars, for example, and we put them in the southern border or build internal infrastructure to de develop our economy uh, with small and mid-sized businesses, right? Or help the people in Palestine, Ohio, because of the train derailment, or the people in Lahaina, right? Mm -hmm. um, so, like, those dollars would be better spent building our, our community, to use uh, Randall's thoughts, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna jump in. You, you said they would be better spent. Yes. In your perspective, that's right. Be, be, in, in, in another perspective, somebody could sit here and say, if we allow Russia to take over Ukraine, and if we allow the Arab countries to take over Israel, we very well could be in a difficult situation, where where so, somebody out there is weighing the fentanyl crisis of the United States, you know, if you wanted to argue that, you know, the Mexican border, the Southern border is causing a fentanyl issue for us. Somebody out there is weighing that as a cost 
and the war in the Middle East as a cost. And they're going, if we don't stop the war in the Middle East, doesn't it'll that, be irrelevant that we have a fentanyl crisis. But doesn't that kind of seem like, you know, like if I was walking down the street with my family, right? And like, let's say I'm in a bad part of a bad town, right? And then I see two guys arguing in an alley. It's kind of like I leave my family to go interject myself and two guys having a fight in an alley. Doesn't it seem like that's the kind of the mental gymnastics of what's happening? It's like, well, maybe protect your family. Let those guys figure it out. Why, why do we need to interject ourselves into that? Unless, unless, unless there's like, it's almost like the opposite of, of what you'd want, which is you don't want World War III, but it seems like we're almost pushing for World War III. Because we haven't, we haven't substantially um, changed the outcome of whatever the Ukrainian-Russian conflict is, and Ukraine's not an ally. They didn't, they, they're, they're, they're in no way tied to us other than to launder money. Hmm. So it's like, why are, we, why are we involved in that conflict? If we wanted to minimize the tensions in that area, we would have uh, upheld the agreements we had in place with Russia in the first place. So just to be clear, what I was presenting was not necessarily that we shouldn't get involved. Okay, we can get involved all we want. We have to understand what the their interests are when we get involved. Who's who's there? Who, who are you talking about? In saying, well, you could do both, but I I've been in the uh, thinking world around the Israeli conflict. Um. And we have to understand. We have to understand what are the Palestinians' interests in this, and what are the Jewish interests in this. And in understanding those two things, we can't necessarily come in and say our values should be the values you base resolution off of. We can help resolve, and certainly we have interests and probably should be involved, right? But at the same time, we got to check those at the door while we're trying to play middleman, while we're trying to play moderator in the middle of this conversation, okay? I remember in, uh, in college once we had a debate between two professors, and one of the professors wasn't taking a particularly popular view, and the moderator actually jumped in and added his two cents to help out with the majority view. The entire student body booed the moderator at that point. <laughs> Regardless of what your conviction was on the topic that was being discussed, the entire student body booed the moderator because it was clear that the moderator had jumped in and steered the conversation to his liking. That's the kind of thing I'm asking for the U.S. to have as they come to these things. And then on top of that, when you start analyzing their motives, well, you know, Israel's upset because they were entitled to the land and they shouldn't feel entitled to the land. And Palestine, they think that they've been encroached on in their backyard and blah, 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 blah. And I can understand where the Palestinians are coming from. No, no, you don't. You've called into question truth and right and wrong. If I can analyze either side and come up with what's right for them and what's right for them, 
you truly don't have a concept of what is going on in their heads. Because clearly there's friction. And clearly they have a sense of right and wrong. There's some value judgment that they have made. But we're trying to come in with moral relativism and say, oh, come on, guys, sort it out. Crap, no, hell no. <laughs> like, you're not going to sort it out when you've got a morally relativistic moderator trying to insert itself between people who have absolutely no moral relativism. So that's a really profound point. I think that's, a, I mean, I hear a very profound point here. But then if we take a step back and we're talking about what's our nation's problem, is there a framework we could apply that the nation could rally around where we say, okay, here, well, let's, let's, let's take moral relativism and make it, a, make it a mental exercise to evaluate an established framework that everybody can align with. Use it as a tool. Don't use it as the basis or framework. Because it, you know, it, then it becomes an individual problem. Everybody's going to come to the conversation with their own perspective, right? Uh, and you can't write laws based on an individual perspective. You have to build a framework that aligns with the values of the population, right? Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So is there a framework we could build? And then what would we build it off of? I mean, it seems like it was a Judeo-Christian uh, ethic when we were writing the original institutional doc uh, documents, and somehow we've kind of attacked that framework as it doesn't provide the optimal outcomes. But if you looked at the success of our nation from, its, from, from when we started running off of those tools, it seemed like it did pretty good. Well, yeah. I mean, it, it, it did good um, from, a, from a local standpoint. Mm -hmm. but, but the moment, uh, the, the moment that you start trying to implement I, I, what, what I would refer to as like those religious guidelines that we've created because those guidelines were built with a religious perspective. You, you, can't, you can't implement those on, on other religious beliefs because they, they don't see the world the same. Yeah, but for us, let's just say our nation. Has it worked for us? Yeah, I mean, in what framework would we what would we replace it with? Like, what is there a framework? Is I guess my general. Oh, I I, I think there question. is a framework, I, and I think the answer is very simple here. Um, I think the moment that we realize that we have aliens, um, and we create, uh, no, I, I'm I'm being I'm being dead I'm being dead serious. Yeah. Get it? Uh, I think the moment <laughs> that we understand that it is not our neighbor that is our enemy. Hmm but it is actually a, a legitimate outside force. We won't give a shit about the borders and we won't give a shit about the difference between Muslims and Christians and Jews and Islam and, and, and Buddha. We just, we won't, we won't care. I do be, like Because that. it will like be that. irrelevant. Yeah. It, it, it will, it'll be, and, and I've talked about this in, in, in both business and government, the, the most powerful thing that a, uh, a group in power can do is create a common enemy because mm. it, it will bring everybody together. Yes. yes. And, 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 I, and I hate to, you know, whether you believe in, in aliens or not or whatever, it, it would be the, the most simplistic way to resolve our 
mediocre struggles on earth with each other the moment we go, oh shit, there's something above us that we don't know. And then all of a sudden, everybody on earth is going to go, I don't care about your, your crap anymore. You and I need to make sure that that doesn't yeah. come down. Yeah. And, and that's it. I, 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 you you want to talk about solving the world's issues? Find aliens. I actually really like that idea, to be honest with you. Make the, make the tribe, the cohesive tribe, the globe. Make right. the boundary, right. you know, the stratosphere. Yeah. Our border is the stratosphere. I like yeah. that a lot. Now, of course, we still will come back to how do we model a framework for the globe, right? Because then when our enemy is some advanced technology that exists in the you know, unknown blackness of ever-increasing space, uh, we have to be very good at coordinating uh, resources, working together, figuring out how to build a kind of a consistent and predictable model on this planet, right? And I guess to get back to that model, though, one of the things, and maybe this, I'm sorry if this takes us in a slightly different direction. I'm hoping that we can come back Please. into this. I'm but, spinning the wheel right now. Yeah, Let's yeah, go. yeah. Um, I actually do believe that Jason's right, first off, that there is some other power at play here. I don't know if I'd use aliens as the term. Yeah, and that's fair. But I definitely think there is some other power at play. To get back to the model and the framework for our country, I think that actually, and this is going to sound crazy again, here we are in Kosciuszko County with the crazy thought that uh, maybe it wasn't just Judeo-Christian values that formed some of our founding documents. I know of profound Christian historians, Ph.D. level, who are arguing against Christianity being one of the, the main founding thought processes of the country. They're arguing against that because the Enlightenment also was filtering into some of those founding fa fathers' thoughts. Benjamin Franklin was not a Christian. Mm. Thomas Jefferson thought we should strip all the miracles. You can look this up on the web. Tom, Jefferson Bible? Mm-hmm. Look it up. He stripped all the miracles out of the entire... These are not Christian men per se. They're, they've got Christian bents maybe. But they've adopted enlightenment values to help them interpret their Christianity. So what you have in these founding documents is not simply Judeo-Christian values, which by the way, there were no Jews on that set. So to call it Judeo only is... Kind to Asinine say the least. Yeah. to me. <laughs> okay. Um, but to call it Judeo-Christian, no, it's Enlightenment Judeo-Christian. There is Middle Eastern Christian. There is Russian Christian. Those Christianities have an entirely different flavor and would have shaped those founding documents entirely different. What we're talking about is Western Judeo-Christian framing of the Constitution of the United States, the Declaration of Independence. So let's explore that a little bit. So are we talking about like a Stoic Christian bent? When you say enlightened Christian, enlightened is such a, I don't know if it's an overused word or too vague. 
I mean, enlightened to me just means that it's almost a vanity word. It's almost like, well, our version's, you know. Right. Yeah, it's smarter. (laughs) That makes any Mm -hmm. sense. The Enlightenment moved humans to the center of determining and reasoning through their own existence and their purpose for this life. In doing so, it said that the human mind didn't need any other authority to interpret its life. Okay, so... When it says, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal. Well, sure. In a world that doesn't have a dictator, yep, all men are created equal. Now let's go back to Moscow for a moment and see how they feel about that statement. Even Christians in Moscow would have taken issue with that statement. We have, we have equal value. But there is no way that this is going to function in society as if we have equal value. Okay, so so when you when we're talking about the enlightened Christian, does that make it more of an individual Christian perspective? Is yes, that what the argument yes. is? Okay, he, they're more. They put a lot more faith in the human ability to be able to interpret for itself what the authority and purpose for their life is. Rather than giving rise, China, I was actually a pastor in a Chinese church for several years, so I know this. I can see it. (laughs) Um, I would have guessed that. (laughs) (laughs) But for them, the authority lies in the community. In a, what to me is unsatisfactory way, I actually wouldn't like it just to be situated in the community, and I wouldn't like it to just be situated in the individual. And that's where we get conflicted, right? Mm-hmm. And individuals make up the community, and the community encompasses the individuals. So there's always friction between those two. But, yeah, I think Western Christians are a lot more comfortable with functioning in autonomy rather than trusting that the community might have truth statements that I don't like from my individual perspective. And it is that individual Christianity, to just get practical, that shaped the Declaration of Independence. So is that a good framework? Uh, which part? The, is our, is the, our, the Constitution? Is the intentional founding and the framework it was based on a good framework? Is it the one we should stick with? Right, right. That's the that's the question. Because I, I want to let's do this. Let's, let's come at it uh, with just a slightly different bent. Corruption. What does corruption mean? When people say because I, it's being thrown around a lot, this politician's corrupt. The systems are corrupt. Maybe it's just me throwing the word around, but it's getting thrown around a lot. Um, so what does that mean? Uh, in my mind, um, the term corruption would simply mean. Um, that you you're making decisions based on a uh, minority group instead of what is best for the majority. What do you think about that? Mm, I like it. I think there's nuances to corruption, but I certainly like that nuance a lot. So that kind of the implication there is greed, right? Well, I I mean, not, not, I mean, not always it's, it's not always greed. It's just, it, it it's it's selfish it's selfish like if if you are if you are the one making the decision you are you are making a decision that is weighed in your favor not in their favor so let's let's take that definition and let's apply it to um 
entities. So the government, are we seeing this in the government? Minorities making decisions for themselves versus the best outcome for majority. I would say absolutely. That's a hundred percent. Yeah. Okay. I, I mean, I, if you, if you really want to get into like the whole uh, political world, the, the idea of super PACs are a joke. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, like the, the system that is built to protect us also put a loophole in to screw us <laughs> at the same time. And they were like, yeah, this makes sense. Because on, on one hand, you go, oh, an individual can't donate more than $6,600 to, to any individual politician. And you go, but super PACs can do whatever the hell they want to do. <laughs> and you go, so I should just dive into super PACs, right? And then as soon as you open the world of super PACs, you go, okay, so that that so why do we even make the first rule? Like, <laughs> like, like the first rule was a joke. Like no, nobody's going to follow that rule because there's no reason to follow that rule because you also allowed super PACs to exist. So schools, colleges, are we seeing the same thing in schools and colleges? hundred percent. I would say absolutely. Healthcare? hundred percent. A legal system. I would say the legal system is probably the least corrupt. Um, but but the the term legal system is pretty vague. I mean that's everything from from you know a mall cop to a police officer to a Supreme Court judge. Are there two sets of rules? Are there sets of rules for us, and then different set of rules for the minority elite? Have we seen any instances of that? Absolutely, I think so. What do you think, Jason? You're, yeah, okay, okay, take. Yeah, I mean, uh, yes. I, I, I do believe that there are, uh, but I've also, I've also used this discussion before, which is life is a game. You have to understand the rules. And if you understand the rules, you can play by them. So whether, whether the elite get the favoritism it may not be favoritism. It may just be an understanding of the rules. All right, but uh, let's just use some recent. Sure, I, I know where you're. All gonna, right, I know do where, I even I need to? You, I know where you're going to go. We, with we it, can but. clean the board off from the, the you know Trump if we want. But I mean, it, and it's not just Trump. If you look at the Biden family, you look you yeah, know, Trump. It's everybody. Good. Yeah, yeah. Um, there, there does from my from my standpoint, your definition holds. I would argue it, it holds. Okay. Now, what about banking? I mean, if you look at uh, Sam Bankman-Fried, <laughs> so you're going to go <laughs> Goldman Sachs and right. BlackRock and the way mm -hmm. that they're manipulating things, I, I would say, yeah. Okay, now we're going to get into um, some hot water. Churches. Yes, absolutely. I'll be the first one to say it. Since I'm a self-professing Christian, <laughs> I will say it. I, and I was actually in a situation where I was spiritually abused, so I know that there's corruption in churches. I grew up Catholic, so yeah. like I spiritually abused was my life because I live on the world of guilt. Yeah. Like, yeah. like the only reason I'm here today is because Jody sent me a text two days ago, and I felt so guilty to say no to him that I was like, yeah, I'll be there at 10. <laughs> <laughs> it works. It works, folks. All right. Here's the one place that I see um, the only the only definition that would apply would really be 
within the organizations. But when we're talking about farming, we're talking about local shops, family-owned service businesses, I would say this does not apply. I would say um, those just by nature of their success rely on them to serve the majority. Because mm-hmm. that's the name of the game. You've got to get as many people in the business as possible. I've seen two sides of the agricultural economy. I've seen the Midwest and I've seen Western. I think the Western version is very corrupt. So build that out. I think there's a lot of politics. It's like Yellowstone. It's like Yellowstone all over. Except, Great TV show, by the way. Yeah, yeah. The thing of it is, is I think in the Midwest, the majority, not saying everybody, the majority of people watching Yellowstone that I bump into think that that's fictitious. Thinks that that is not the case, that the, the West doesn't operate that way. I can tell you firsthand that the West still operates that way. There are power structures in society between who's got the right field, who am I fighting with for this field, especially BLM out there doesn't stand for Black Lives Matter. It stands for the Bureau of Land Management. In fact, when BLM first started, everybody in the Western U.S. was like, what the heck are you talking about, Black Lives Matter? It means Bureau of Land Management. That's why you had the Rancher War in Oregon. Uh, what was that? That was about 10 to 15 years ago now, right? Was because there was this battle between the Bureau of Land Management and ranchers who had historical rights to these grounds. So, so but but just be careful um, how we're um, building out this argument. So the definition of corruption that we're using is that that entity is motivated by minority rights. Oh, I see. So... I would I would argue that in this case, farming, local shops, small owned service, family owned service businesses, by nature of survival, you can't apply that definition. Right. Okay. okay. But when you apply I'll, it I'll to the next, that. Yep. yeah, the yep. next level up, when you start dealing with the political organizations, I mean, I mean, now we're getting into like not non for profit kind of tools, pass through tools, and and regulatory tools that. I think now you've got a very good argument for corruption yeah. because those people are doing those things explicitly to benefit a tiny, uh, whatever you want to call it, yeah. you know, cronies or whatever, however you want to turn it, turn it. Sorry for my rant. I'll back off that. No, I like, I, it's good. That's what we're here for. Don't, don't, don't pause. I, I, I do want to say as much as we went down that list and we were all like, yep, yep, yep. I, I still think there there's segments in each of those that, that are not necessarily corrupt or, or at least still have good intentions. And I think this brings us back kind of like full circle to like what is the issue of the United States, right, where, where it, it is that the moral dilemma of the person where be, because what you just said at the end, you, you said that that small mom and pop, the farmers, the, the lo- local shops, there's a level or like there's a threshold where if if you haven't hit that threshold, you haven't hit the corrupt threshold yet. Right. It's, it's like you have to, you have to sell so many dollars before you can decide to start manipulating the system or the game in your favor. Right. Like that, that's kind of what you were, you were painting a picture there. I, you know, um, I can see where you're going, but I, just keep on un- keep unpacking that because because it seems to me like you you transit the, the argument is you're transitioning away from 
a local shop at that point. When you when you're sure. when you reach that threshold, now you almost are forced into some you know political um, interaction because you're dealing with uh, like border to border economics, right? Sure. So you have to figure out how to navigate the commerce structure, and that requires some level of political savvy. If that makes does that make any sense? Yeah. Or, or or you just have to you just have to climb the economic ladder, and. And and if if that top tier of the ladder is corrupt, guess what? You start shaking hands with corruption. Like, it, you, you know, you, you walk into the the lion's den, and it's like, well, what happens? Well, I I guess up here we just we all bite each other. Like this is what we do, right? <laughs> well, so I, I guess you know I'm I'm kind of leading the witness on this one. But if we agree that this definition that you give us, which I think is a good definition, um, doesn't apply to the farming, local shops, family-owned service businesses. Is there any way to institute policies and reset the systems to be more reflective of farms, local shops, and family service businesses to eradicate the corruption? I, mean, I, I love a utopian society, don't get me wrong, but I, I, don't, I don't believe. I, so, so we had this discussion a couple weeks ago where we had kind of dabbled in the, the topic of capitalism. And and capitalism as a theory is not uh, broken, but capitalism being operated by humans and people is a broken system. And I think this plays into that that thought really, really well, which is because people are still in it, because people are the ones operating it. I don't think that there's a regulatory structure that you could build that would keep the people from failing or falling into that one category of so-called corruption. Unless you build this incredibly moralistic society, which thank heavens, that's what religion has tried to do. Um, but it has failed, but, but that, but that's really why religion in, in my mind was devised or, or, or supported or created you know, whether you, you believe in Jesus or God or whatever, the rules around all religions are built as this topic that, that you're talking about. Like, what, it, what are these life structures that we can try to keep people in line? Don't let them do, you know, uh, corruption and adultery and murder. And, and, but th that's, that's really the purpose of religion is to, to keep people in line, you know? Okay, so we need to bring back religion. So, which so, one? So we got to. We. I mean, the, the answer the is right we, we got to go back to religion. Let, let's That's go. Right. Yeah. Which is what is the right one? What's the right religion? At the end of the day, I know you guys are looking at me because I was the one that outed myself as a Christian. Um, <laughs> uh, this is my perspective on it. There are a lot of competing narratives out there. There are attractive competing narratives out there. I'm not going to say that peaceful Muslims are off the chart evil because I know for a fact that I have brothers that would say they are more Christian at times in the way they show their love in the Middle East and using hospitality. They look more like Christians than Christians in the West do. Okay, 
So I always say there are a lot of attractive options for religion out there. I do land on Christianity, but at some point, I had a professor in school say the issue for Abram wasn't that there weren't other gods that he could have worshipped, because there were. He just decided to go all in on this one. And so for myself, that's that's where I land. I'm not going to be able to explore every freaking religion. I'm not going to be able to figure out which one's the best. I have put all my chips in this poker game on this one. Somebody else can pick another one, but that's where I land. Is that super defensible? No, it's not. I agree. Is there a is there an algorithm we could apply to these different doctrines and say, okay, which one has the best optimal outcome? Where's for the, the AI Bible, right? That's isn't right. That, isn't that a project that's afoot right now? Is which one has the best outcome? Yeah. Which one, if you if you were to perpetuate this doctrine out to its extents, which one is going to ultimately leave us better off? And then just say, yep, that's the one. We're gonna do that one. Again, utopian environments are very neat. But All right, guys. Well, this is a great place to take a break, um, and we'll be right back. Hey, what's going on? It's Chris. I'm here with Stefan. Bro, we need to talk about this messed up thing you did to me this week. What's that? You know what you did, but let's tell them. <laughs> I'm sitting at the office. Stefan sends me this picture of a turkey bacon BLT. Looks like the best freaking sandwich I've ever seen in my life. So I, I don't remember that you've got two locations. So I run down to the Warsaw location to get the delicious burger, or excuse me, sandwich. Wasn't there, but I still got a good pizza. Hoplor, Ghost Spot, your two yep. locations. Hoplor up in Leesburg. Yep, historic uh, mill location, 110-year-old uh, feed mill. Pretty cool little spot, super chill. Super chill, incredible menu, or... Ghost Spot here in Warsaw. Yeah, Ghost Spot, new idea. Uh, we are hosting uh, guest chefs and food trucks uh, for about a three-month stint, uh, bringing you a new menu every three months that way. Unbelievable. I just recently had the pizza. Incredible. Incredible do or die pizza. does it up do right. Or die, do or die pizza this month, so good. Stefan, if I want to know where which menu is which, so I go to the right spot, where can I find you? Yeah, you can uh, actually find all our menus at hoplore.com, uh, both the menus for the uh, the original, the mill location, as well as the new ghost spot here in Warsaw. Uh, you can find us physically located at 100 South Old State Road 15. That's the mill uh, in Leesburg, and then 307 West Market Street here in Warsaw, Indiana. Best food, best beer you're going to find. Hoplore Brewing. Two locations, Leesburg and Warsaw, the ghost spot, Warsaw. Check them out. Check them out on the web. Absolutely. You can always reach out to us by Facebook as well, uh, Instagram, and uh, all the other socials. Booming. Booming. All right, we are back. Um, Want to just start this half uh, with a shout out to Studio Couch, part of our podcast network show of shows hosted by Jack Claypool. It's all things music. So uh, if you want to get uh, uh, 
If you want to get the skinny um, on the latest events happening in northeastern Indiana and in Fort Wayne and Warsaw and Kaskaskia County, um, check out Studio Couch. If you're a band um, or your venue or you, uh, you know, have uh, music equipment, production equipment, this would be a good show for you. Uh, we also want to shout out Little Red Barn. Uh, Ryan Martin and Chris Coyote Underwood uh, talk about all things agriculture. It doesn't matter if you own a big farm or if you have a garden in your backyard and you want to have chickens. Uh, these guys are going to talk about all things agriculture, let you know what's going on with the weather, with seeds, pricing, gas, all that fun stuff. stuff. So check out Little Red Barn, another show on the Freedom Cats uh, podcast network. Uh, we also want to shout out Travis McConnell Law Offices. So Travis McConnell is providing legal services here in Kosciuszko County. He's a great guy. Um, he's your go-to guy for anything uh, legal. Doesn't matter if it's something as simple as setting up an LLC or, you know, resolving uh, your legal issues here at the courthouse, reach out to Travis McConnell uh, at Travis McConnell Law Offices. If you're interested in joining the Breakfast Club, you can uh, direct message us on our Facebook page and we will get back to you. And uh, we'll give you all the details on how you can join us and have some fun with us in the morning. And so our Breakfast Club is growing. It's a good group. And we look forward to seeing more friendly faces here uh, during the uh, episodes. Jason, any upcoming events? Uh, let's see. We uh, we just got done doing our uh, our last Lighthouse Live party on October fourteenth. We did uh, our our Spirits and Souls uh, Halloween Bash. Uh, so we're done with that for the season. Um, really, we're we're kind of uh, we're kind of in hiatus mode until we get uh, the pizza parlor and the uh, the artisan market up and running. Uh, but I will say this, if, uh, if there's anybody out there that's looking for a corporate holiday space to, uh, host their holiday parties for their staff, their loved ones, or their people, uh, 110 and the Vic are, uh, full available. So we would love to get you guys in through the holiday season to help celebrate those Christmas parties. So outside of that, get ready for our new year's Eve bash. Oh, look out. Yeah. We're going to do a new Orleans style, um, kind of like masquerade. Um, New Orleans vibe this year. So we've got a New Orleans uh, band coming in out of Chicago. Uh, we'll have our uh, casino tables like we do every single year. So it'll be a, a good time. So live music, drinks, mask, dress up, you know, take a, take a chance at being an adult that gets to act like a kid for an evening. Fantastic. Randall? No, no, okay. Upcoming no, no, upcoming, no, no events. upcoming events. <laughs> I was like, I didn't expect that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're back on topic. Um, I was asked to ask you, Jason, if you could choose the religion you'd like to see applied. Yeah, I, I knew that was going to, I, yeah, during the bathroom break, I was like, am I going to answer this question? And the answer is uh, no. I, I, I do not, I, I actually. I actually will go a step further and I will say I think choosing a religion as a singular source of, of, of an answer or what I would refer to as like an answership, I think that is a dangerous move in general. So I, I, I believe that religion has created a lot of the issues that we have in, in, in our world, in, in our societies. Uh, because it, it does create differences in people and, and it allows people to dislike your neighbor for a, a reason that really is not justifiable. 
So not, not, I'm not saying that religion is bad. I'm not, that's not where I am. I just think by choosing a singular one, it becomes a very difficult conversation to try to get everybody on the same ship. So I think that becomes a very dangerous conversation. Um, are you guys familiar with a guy named Christopher Hitchens? I am not. So he's a kind of a prolific atheist. Uh, him and a, um, uh, three other guys would go debate on stage uh, the relevance of religion. And one of his talking points that seemed to resonate really well is um, there's nothing that re religion specifies that you couldn't do as a good person. Right. But if you juxtapose that with you can take a good person and make them do a terrible thing. There's plenty of uh, examples of this because of religion. Yep. Like suicide bombers are blowing up buses of kids in the name of religion. Right. Right. And I'm like, okay, well. Countries are invading other countries in, in, in light of religion. And yeah, I, I mean, genocide and, and I mean, all, all sorts of things. But I I'd completely agree. And, and I think that that's, I understand what religion is wanting to do which is create a, a common guidelines and, and rules and structures for people. But I do think it becomes very dangerous. And, uh, and, and I completely agree that, that there, is, there is nothing that a religion structure is going to give you if, if you remove the belief, the, you know, the afterlife conversation or whatever happens after this experience on earth. But if you look at strictly the guidelines, all of those guidelines can be built off of just being a good person and they don't have to have a religious connection. So that, that's not me saying that that's Christopher Hitchens quote, uh, which I probably screwed up. Um, and so he would challenge the crowds to give him an example of something that you get out of religion that you couldn't get out of um, being just, a good person. just being a good person. And I fantasized, uh, he's, he's dead now, but I fantasized about being on stage with that guy and having a debate with him. Just because he's, uh, he's British, right? A prolific author, very articulate. And I thought, man, I'd probably be a bumbling fool, but how much fun would it be able to, 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 how much fun would it be for me to be able to debate this guy? And then also talk to him about the transcendent nature of religion. So the one thing that I think um, many people who have uh, a higher order belief system, so they believe in a higher power, what the, the privilege they have over somebody who doesn't is that they can take the burdens of life mm -hmm. that have crushed them and put them to the side for a bit while they're in the process of transforming their lives for the better. They don't have to continually carry that burden. And so if you don't have religion, you will have to carry that burden. There's no scapegoating. There's no, um, you know, somebody else paying your ransom kind of a deal. But with religion, this is why AA programs and, you know, the various addiction programs work, work so well because what they do is they unburden those people long enough that they can start making the right decisions to change the trajectory trajectory of their life. And that's why they're so transformative. So that would be the one talking point I'd probably rally around uh, with Mr. Christopher Hitchens, if he was still here. The, uh, the, the freedom cat support system gave, gave us, gave you an applause on that one. Just so you know, it was a, it was a quiet golf clap, but they, they were quite pleased with that, that thought <laughs> slash statement. Right, give me, give me a chest bump. Yeah. There we go. All right. So we're going to talk about, I do want to talk about these conflicts again, but um, I'm going to pivot a little bit because I want to, I'm, I'm really going to harp on this integrity thing. I'm really going to harp on what information do we get that's real 
And how much of it is just being pushed in front of us to be a manipulative uh, tool? So let's look at these current wars as an example. What information is real? I mean, there was like three days this last week where it was all about how um, uh, Israel had blown up a hospital, right? They just had no care for these Gazan people. They blew up, a, uh, it was a Baptist hospital or something, some Christian mm -hmm. Baptist hospital. Turns out that wasn't even true. Not even, none of it was true. It was most likely a misfired uh, Palestinian or a, uh, Hamas. Hamas rocket. It didn't hit the hospital. It hit a parking lot. And the, there might have been casualties, but there's no uh, 500 people dead, which was the number. They, the, the numbers were all over the place, but it was something, you know, catastrophic. That wasn't true either. And so it, it doesn't change the fact that it's all been debunked. There are still news agencies and people promoting this idea and saying, well, it's contested. It's like, it's, it's not contested. It's disproven. And yet the narrative keeps getting shoved into the, the dialogue. So your question is, is what is real and what isn't real? Yeah. And, and why, why is it so important that they keep shoving this in our face? Why is this conflict? It, it's, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it, it, what I, when I look at over the last three years, even before that, five years, it's one catastrophe after another. It's one crazy world on fire thing or some soap opera thing happening day after day after day after day. And I'm like, holy cow, did the world just go crazy? Or are we being fed this stuff for a reason? Sir? He who tells the narrative wins. I, I mean, I think that there is no unbiased reporting. I'm, I'm totally against this idea that there is unbiased reporting of the facts. The moment you open your mouth, you're a human being, like we discussed earlier. Unless you're, you're an alien. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah right, throw right, that right, out there. Right, right, right. Yeah. You're going to present the facts with some angle. So it's a matter of what angle do you want to listen to? Okay. All right. That's fair. So is there, uh, <laughs> is there any value in engaging with this? Is there a healthy way to engage with this? No. I don't believe that there is a healthy way to engage in it. I, I, I think this, this all circles back to the, just the topic that we're, we're on as an overarching thought, which is your, your truth is your truth. And, and, and I know that's not a very descriptive statement, but, but listen to that. Like your truth is what you believe. We, we aren't getting lied to necessarily. Somebody's believing that and somebody's pushing that out there. Now, they're defending it in their own way, but somebody gave them the information. They decided to believe in that information and then they decided to share that information. So it, it, to, me, to me, it's all true while simultaneously being complete and utter bullshit at the same time. And, and that is the struggle with having humans at the helm of this, of this world is that 
we all have the ability to believe what we want to believe. We, we can believe that the Israelis are right. We can believe that the Palestinians are right. We can believe what we want to believe. And that, that in itself is the major issue with our environment. Is there, is there an opportunity or is there a potential that this thing blowing up over here is distracting us from something else happening over here? Oh, sure. Like what, what stories are being put out into the narrative, but don't have the zest and appeal of, you know, a war, World War III, that are actually more meaningful to us from an everyday standpoint? Okay. So, so they, go ahead. Are, are you suggesting that there is some force providing stories in order to distract us from what's going on behind the curtain? That's right? exactly what I'm okay. saying. That's exactly what I'm saying. Yeah. These narratives, so, the, so there's a, this is conspiracy corner time. You guys ready? You going to sing the song? Yeah, I, I forget the song, but I'll sing some. It's Jody's conspiracy, conspiracy corner. corner. Okay. okay. So, <laughs> so I do think that um, the narratives that are being pushed out in front of us are intended to serve um, uh, multiple fronts. It's a multifaceted uh, attack, uh, uh, informational attack. What, is, what would Josh? What did Josh call it? Uh, it was information warfare. Yeah, right. Um, and so there's a there's a a sense of urgency that people have a knee jerk reaction to, that in their brains justifies the tra huge transfers of wealth. So now keep in mind that the money going over to these conflicts that doesn't materialize out of nowhere. That comes out of our paychecks. Right, the U.S. people are funding every dollar that goes over there, right? And so I didn't get nobody called me and said, "Hey, how do you feel about sending 135 billion dollars over to Ukraine?" Right? And I'm and let me know if they called you because <laughs> I want to be on that call list so I can vote. Um, so there is a there's a the urgency part of the conversation seems like justifications to rob us and to take away our freedoms. Okay, but then at the same time, when you look at how the COVID thing unraveled, it was all, you know, it started because of a guy ate a bat over a pangolin, right? Let's be technically specific, over near the lab that was called the I Designed Viral Catastrophes Lab, the Wuhan Viral Lab for whatever, right? And we were told over and over and over again, no, 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 this is this it jumped from a species. But we're just smart enough to know that this was going to happen. So we coincidentally happened to be developing that virus in this lab so we could build, you know, the therapy that we have been peddled. Well, you know what? The two weeks to slow the spread turned into mandates, turned into everybody has to get a shot or you lose your job, turned into everybody's got to wear a mask, which, by the way, you know, just from an engineering standpoint, I thought was absolutely silly, Right. And I had all these arguments with people about the silliness of the whole thing, but there are still people who wear these things and still think that this is the way to stop uh, some aerosol transmission of a virus, right? There's logical and technical arguments that could have been had that were not had. Freedoms were taken away, and it was a fear-based uh, phenomenon, and it was us being flooded over and over and over and over again with urgency, anxiety, and fear, 
and the population responded to it. So as I'm looking at this stuff, I do see some sort of a t intent there. And maybe it's just Jody's conspiracy. But as I'm looking at it, I don't think it's just happenstance. I don't think it's opportunism. I think it's an intentional puppeteering. Okay, so a couple thoughts here. Um, so we, we agreed that the, uh, the religious idea of, of controlling people, right, or, or keeping people in line uh, struggled or is a struggle, right? Because we have multiple different systems. But when you, when you break down what, what the religion, religions do, and not, not all, majority, create some sort of fear situation, right? So if I do bad, there's bad consequences, okay? If I murder somebody, I will go to hell for the rest of my life, right? Like, like for eternity. That, that, is, that is a fear-based controlling system. So if we can come to an agreement that the religious structure isn't quite working, Maybe Jody's conspiracy environment is not so far-fetched that when you're sitting here saying, well, what is the answer? Maybe this is a small subset of individuals that are going, hey, the religious environment didn't work because not everybody is willing to believe in a, a character up in the sky that is all power and all seeing and whatever. And they go, let's, let's try some, some more mundane things. Let's try some things that they can see, some things that they can feel and not something that they have to believe in, right? Because religion requires us to believe in something that we cannot touch. We have to believe in stories. We have to believe in, 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 uh, in pass-me-down theories, right? And so these are all physical things that, that we are impacted by every single day. But the philosophy is not any different. It is, if you don't do this, this will happen to you. If you don't follow these rules, you will die. And, and if you don't, you know, so, so the, the philosophy has not changed. The, the, uh, the modem or the, uh, the model has been altered a little bit, but the philosophy has not changed. And I still think it all comes down to controlling people. Now, it may be a bit far-fetched that, that this whole thing is, is laundering money. Maybe it's not. I don't know. I think it's more likely that it's all a control factor than anything else. That is phenomenal. That is so profound. And I, as you were talking, I was like, holy cow, yes. Yes. It's, it's a way to control society. As it, it was almost like it was learned. It was like, well, okay, we could, we could get this much control mm -hmm. if we use this higher power conversation. But the fear and interest elements are the thing that drive the people, motivate the people. For sure. Fear of going to hell, For interested sure. in going to heaven. Right? For sure. I think you're right. It's, it's, it's risk-reward. Like, if, if, if I go left, I win. If I go right, I, I die. Like, we, we just replaced the strings of the marionette from mm -hmm. the religious tenets to these other mm -hmm. more physical tenets. For sure. Okay. Like, hey, you're not going to get an argument from me. You are now officially in... Jody's conspiracy corner. <laughs> I, I just, just allowing banter, <laughs> not necessarily supporting. All right, we've got one thing left before we take off. Um, I want to talk about the border. 
to talk about the border. How important is it that I, we... I think we have to protect ourselves from Ohioans. I've, I've said this for years. <laughs> Ohioans. <laughs> it's... It's unbelievable what the impact, the economic impact that it's happening. Um, like Sandusky, Columbus, um, just ridiculous. So I, I'm, they, I'm all for it. They just flood in. Yeah. There's no it's check. Cool. They just None. right down yeah, 30. The other day I was in Fort Wayne and I took a wrong turn. And next thing you know, I'm in Ohio. And, and I was like, nobody, nobody stopped me. Nobody said, hey, just so you know, you're getting ready to... None. No information. It, it was way too easy. So, I by mean, the way, we're surrounded on all borders, by the way. If I, it's not Ohioans, it's Michiganians right. or the people from, how do you say it, Illinois? Is that French? Illinois. What is that? Illinois. Is it French? <laughs> I, th I think it might be French. I mean, if you end up in Ohio, at least they know how to play football in Columbus. Oof. Oh. <laughs> oh. Oh. Okay. Oh, dude. Dude. All right. This okay. podcast is located in Kosciuszko County, yeah. Indiana. Yeah. Well, I mean, who are we talking about here? Who are our options again? Indiana University. Yeah. Per don't. <laughs> And ND, Notre Dame. Notre Dame. So. You, got, you got Ball State. Don't forget Ball State. Oh, that's right. Yeah, they are out there. <laughs> yeah, that's right. When yeah, I think yeah, football, yeah. I think Ball State. Oh, that's for like, sure. I mean, that's for like sure. Bowling Green State University. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Falcons. Uh, no, the, the, the border, I. you know, I have mixed emotions about it. We, we've kind of touched on this uh, a little bit before, but. I, I think the the world is becoming such a a small place. It, it's you know it's very easy to go halfway across the world, and and it's very easy to just not see the world as big as it once was, right? You know, between the internet and travel and planes, and we can basically be anywhere within a twenty four hour period for the most part, and. So we, we have to look at the world differently than we once did. Uh, I mean, I, I remember a story my grandmother told me. She, she grew up in a town called Rensselaer, Indiana. And, and I mean, she, she was old enough. It was early 1900s that, that they took a seven-day horseback in, I, I, I want to say covered wagon, but that's probably aggressive. That's probably not what it was. But... But it was it was a horse drawn carriage that they moved from Rensselaer to um, south of uh, south of North Manchester, and and but it it was a travel it was a legit travel they didn't even go across the Indiana state border and it took them that long to do that in today's world we we could we could be in in five states in less than ten hours right in. So I, I think we, we have to understand that the world has shrunk. And when the world shrinks, you do have to start protecting your borders. But I think the real question is, is what is the purpose that we have to protect our borders? Because I think that's where it gets confusing, is that we use a lot of different narratives as to why we need to protect our borders and how. And that is what I would pose a question to you, Jody, is what do you think the real reason that we have to protect our border? I'm not against it, but I want to do it for the right reasons. I think there's two, um, two reasons that uh, we should build the conversation around and then multiple reasons that are probably more nuanced and complex. One is economic. Okay. So In what capacity? So... Um, the general population is taxed in order to take care of the 
um, sovereignty of the country. So we get taxed so they can build the infrastructure. No, so, I think that's we get taxed so that we can enter wars overseas. Is that not correct? <laughs> no, you're right. I, I don't know what I was thinking. Yeah. Um, so, but <laughs> we have to be able to tax people so we can get into those wars, Jason. Yeah. Okay. Understood. So, and and so here here's where we're at. Um, there there are two reasons. One's economic. Um, for every dollar pulled out of my pocket, um, I want to. I want that dollar to go into something that's going to benefit the infrastructure aspects of this country, and something that's going to benefit my ability to continue to operate as I've been operating. Okay. Okay. The other is quantification of variables. So people who come across the border who are unknown. We have no way of determining what the impacts of those variables are going to be in our country. So those could be hostile forces. Those could be people who are bringing uh, poisons and drugs into our country. Those could be people who just want to, you know, live here peacefully. But if we can't quantify those elements, we are essentially being invaded. You have to assume the worst case by a hostile force because you have no way of quantifying the element. Okay. And so those are the two reasons I think we need to have definitive borders. I'm not saying that, that uh, inter-country commerce isn't important and we need to be good neighbors and that people who have the intention of thriving and contributing to our country and our economy shouldn't come here. I think they should. I think we, we are the best uh, example, global example in history of how to take the, the meek, mild and, you know, um, whatever you want to call those people from let other them, countries. Let them flourish. Let them flourish. Let them thirst. We're, we're, the, we're, the, we're, the, uh, we're the environment for people to take their creativity and employ it in a valuable way. But it has to be done on the terms of the agreed-upon framework of our country. So when they come here, our country has principles and a framework that allows it to operate. So they have to know what they're stepping into what they're agreeing to, and they have to participate in the thing that they agreed to. We can't have people coming to this country saying we want to tear down this country. Okay, I agree. So, so uh, in, in your, your second pocket, and I, I want to hear your opinion on this, in your second pocket, what I was hearing was you would like to create more regulation. Um, I, maybe. maybe. Maybe that's the argument. I think having... Um, Having a definitive boundary, a physical definitive. So what? What uh, when Trump was talking about the wall? There's, you know, as an engineer, I start laughing. I was like, yeah, it's it's really hard to get over a wall, right? Because ladders haven't been invented, right? Right. So it's like, okay, if he's talking about the physical wall, we could do a moat, though. I think a moat would be nice. Yes. <laughs> I like moats. I mean, yeah, right. With a drawbridge, I think that'd be excellent. Like we, we so open, it was we, crocodiles. We, yeah, <laughs> crocodiles. We, we do a drawbridge. The drawbridge operates one hour a day. We just let as many that can get across in an hour, and then it's, it lifts up, and then we're done. Can we have guys with suits of armor standing on either side of the drawbridge? Yeah, we could even bring the dragons back. That would be. <laughs> I am pro dragon, by the way. I, I, I would, I would dragons all be pro the way. Dragon. You've heard of turtles all the way down? Yeah. I think dragons all the way down the border. So. 
yeah, the, so the, the the wall obviously was was not a good answer to protecting the border. But so so what what's a better answer? Just border control? For me, it signified the wall. The wall, of course, there is there is some upside because it's kind of like your front door, right? You have a lock on your front door, and when the lock is locked, what that tells people is you can't come in my house. But if the lock's not locked, then there's this idea of, well, you know, the door's open, right? So a wall's the same thing. You're walking along, you run into a wall, it signifies to people, yeah, there's a way to get into the country. You can't just walk another three feet and consider yourself a U.S. citizen or whatever element in the country. So the um, symbology of the wall is our definitive border. It's telling people we are our own country and we're willing to defend our principles along this line, this physical line. So we're securing the people who come in and the people who leave the country. And you have to, again, if you're going to sign up to come into our country, we have certain laws and you have to abide by those laws. So it was more of a picture. It was more of a intent. And so that's the way I actually viewed when Trump was talking about the wall. I was like, yeah, it's kind of like putting up a statue, right? It's like functionally, eh, maybe, maybe it's like a front door you run into the wall and you're like, okay, now I'm at the border. I know where I am. I got to turn around. But if I really wanted to come in, I either get a shovel or I get a ladder. Not that hard to overcome the advanced technology of a wall, right? It paints the picture though. We're serious about this. You don't come in unless we want you to come in. Now you put like heat seeking laser turrets with machine guns on the, on the top of it. Now you're super serious. And then a moat, alligators, dragons, you know. Then people are like, okay, just stay away from the U.S. They got dragons. I am sitting watching Jason <laughs> rub his eyes right now, and I love it. <laughs> well, you get what I'm saying. No, I, 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 I get what you're saying. I, I think I, I'm going to uh, let's, let's uh, exponentially push this question. So... Let, let's say we're, we're, we're allowed to build a, a wall on the southern border. We're allowed to build, build a wall on the northern border. At what point does this stop? Like, I know we opened this conversation by having a joke about the, the Ohioans, right? And at what point does California go, you know what? We would like a border. We would like to make sure that everybody that comes into California abides by our laws and if you don't you're not allowed in and at what point do we just start building state border borders i mean california does have that you drive into california from nevada when i was living there they have checkpoints at in california for you to pull off declare what goods you have with you and whether they're acceptable within california's borders so how far do we let this go Actually, I guess at that's this point, my question. If California wanted to put up a wall, you'd let them. <laughs> <I'd be> like, <laughs> that's the thing. Even even the, the states out there would prefer for California to put up a wall. If you talk to the commoner out there, okay, California is a bad example. No, I like let, California. Let's, let's go, that's let's a go great Texas. example, Jason. I don't know why you're. That's a good example. Yeah, because they would be one of the first places to do it, right? I think that's an excellent example. Or Texas. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Texas would build a border. Maybe Florida. Florida might do it. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, from my standpoint, I I lack 
grace and compassion at this point, right? So the typical Christian response has been, you know, we're, we need to be a place of compassion. I, I honestly don't get how Christians can be ruthless in business and then as far as this border thing goes, oh, let's be compassionate and merciful. I come from the perspective that this nation is a business. And I actually like the nation, even though my previous com comments may have betrayed otherwise. Like, I like our nation from a business perspective. This ain't smart to just let people flood in. And part of why it isn't smart, part of maybe where I am motivated by Christian compassion is that those who have been entrusted with patrolling the border are having their families overrun. And I mean specifically the border patrol agents at this point. They are being almost enslaved to their job because the amount of manpower that is needed to man that border to enforce whoever's regulations and guidelines are in at play is pulling them out of their families, crushing their personal families, and putting them in harm's way. So I come at it from a little bit of a different perspective where I'm like, yeah, we, we, it'd be nice to provide great opportunities for everybody, but you are crushing Border Patrol agent families in order to do so. And they are the forgotten ones, I think, in this whole conversation their families aren't getting to see them. They're living under stress. They're supposed to enforce guidelines tactfully so that they don't get in trouble with the woke constituency. The Border Patrol family is on my radar when it comes to this discussion. You know, as, as I hear you describe that, I... For a brief moment, I thought you were describing a restaurant owner, <laughs> but, but then, then you, you wrapped it back up. So I, I, no, I, I, I was confused. You were like, they're not seeing their family. They're overworked. They're, yeah, I, yeah. I, I was like, oh my God, he's talking about me. <laughs> I was like, do I work at the border? Yeah. But I, I think I, I also find it fascinating. Again, this is an intramural discussion within Christianity, but because of where we live, I think it comes up a lot, is I find it interesting when they're like, God's heart is for the stranger. God's heart is for the foreigner. And they cite it. Well, where are they citing that from? They're citing it from Torah, the first five books of the Bible, right? However, the very same Christians, the very same Christians who cite that from Torah also don't want to live by Torah. I mean, if you're familiar at all with the intramural Christian conversation in this county, they're all about, we're free from the law. We're free from this. Okay, so why are you citing a law-based principle for your guidelines on allowing people to cross the border? But that's that's just me operating. I, li I like how you looked at me on that. <laughs> it's just me operating in my intramural discussions. So I know that that's not something that... Well, when it, comes to, when it comes to the context of the doctrine, I mean, I don't know. You're giving me information I don't have yeah. already, but it sounds reasonable and logical. Yeah. I, it just frustrates me because we are in a hot pocket of religion here in this county. And so there's a lot of pontificating that takes place. Oh, yes. 
I'm taking care of the marginalized because God's heart is for the foreigner. Yeah, it's in Torah, <laughs> and you hate right. Torah. So why in the world are you citing that as the reason for... Yeah, I'm sorry. Hmm. Well, that's my soapbox. I'm getting off of it's it not, now. It sounds like a pretty logical argument. Yep. I mean, at the end of the day, I, I, I think it's, in, it's important to protect our, our home. Uh, but, I, but I also think it's important for us to, to stay true to who we are, which is a, a country of opportunity and, and a country of, of immigrants. Like, you know, first and foremost, I mean, not, not to beat a dead horse, but, but this, we want to talk about the Israeli-Palestinian and, and who has rights to the land. We are talking about protecting a land that we don't technically have realistic rights Amen. to, um, which does make us a tad bit hypocritical. Now, we've been here for a long time. We kind of have like the California squatters rights. <laughs> like I now own this multi-million dollar house because I've slept on the floor for six months. But, you know, it, I, I think it's important for us to protect protect the border. But I also think it's important for us to not lose our, our moral space in doing so. And now we, we've had bigger conversations about what hidden benefits are there in allowing the border to be relatively loose. And that could be a whole podcast as well. I think so. Yeah. You, the, you know, fr from, from a political standpoint or yeah, whatever else. Exactly. What are, what are the motivations for the invitation? That's what it is. It's an invitation where there was an invitation sent out. Hey, come, you know, us right. is wide open. So what we, we'll build that on a different podcast. Yeah. We, we don't have to get into that now, but, yeah. but that that's a whole nother conversation. Well guys, great conversation today. Thank you so much for your time. Randall. So glad to have you on the show. Thank you, thank you, Pleasure, Jason. Thank you, Jason. Thank you, fan favorite, buddy. Thank so you. So glad to have you back. I appreciate it. My 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 DMZ fans are really coming through. <laughs> I, I sent out brochures a couple weeks ago. I was like, catch me on Freedom Cat Saturday morning. Well, I don't know what what day do we release this. We record it on Saturday, but I don't know what day it goes out Monday. to you guys. Goes Monday. So, <laughs> all right, guys. Thank you so much. I'm Jody. He's Jason. He's Randall. We are the Freedom Cats. Meow. Tippy River Adventures. Listen, you know what I hear all the time? I'm just going to be real. There's nothing to do in this county. Jody and his boys, they heard you say it too, and that's why they brought Tippy River Adventures to our community. Tippy River is one of the top 10 most vital rivers in the nation. Top 10 most vital rivers. When was the last time you went down it? When was the last time you saw... The, that, that vitality just in your face. I took my little boy Sullivan on the trip. We still, it was a, it was a, uh, it was a core memory for both of us. A canon event, if you will. As you travel the multiverse, every Sully and Chris went on a Tippy River adventure and you should too. Tippy River Adventures was created, take the work out of experiencing because like, you know, it was, it's, it's tough work going down that river. You know, at our level, it was tough work. So, but they made it easier for us, right? They cut the brush. They gave us, they gave us paths to take our canoes down. That's the work that they do. You have equipment, but don't want to take two cars, bring your equipment out. They'll make it easy. Trips as short as two and a half hours. They have taken effort and worry out of coming up and enjoying the great river. Have a church group, sports team, or family reunion looking for a fun and uplifting experience that you can have together, come out and share an adventure together 
and they'll do the heavy lifting. If you're looking for something to do for yourself or with friends and family, that's fun and easy. An activity that gets you on the water, doesn't require gas or buying high-priced boats or mountain bikes. Give us a try. Listen, I mean, think about that. It's tough living out there, man. Everything's more expensive. JC, and, JC Innovations, as they partner with Tippy River Adventures, they've got your pocketbook as well as your heart and mind in mind. You can check out the fun experience or adventures. Have some fun on the river. Check them out on Facebook. They got a Facebook page, of course. You can book your adventure through the Book Now button on their website. That's tippy, T-I-P-P-Y, riveradventures.com. Or you can schedule through their Facebook page. They're looking forward to seeing you on the water.